Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Security Token Show. We're coming to you from sunny Miami, Florida. I'm your host, Harry Konings, and with me, as always, is Kyle Sondland. And this episode, we're going to be getting into the latest industry news, followed by the newest SEO updates and a comprehensive secondary market update report, finishing with our main topic today, where Kyle and I will be covering what it means to change a security token's blockchain and how that process would work. Hey everyone, so glad to be here, Herwick. We've got an awesome episode lined up for you today. But before we get into all of that, we do need to, of course, thank our sponsor for making the Security Token Show possible. And that sponsor for this week is INX. If you didn't know, INX is the first ever SEC-registered tokenized IPO. The company has filed with the SEC to allow for retail and accredited investor participation into a regulated exchange for cryptocurrencies, security tokens, and derivatives. The firm is currently in the midst of its own token sale, selling INX tokens directly, and has also just announced its acquisition of STO platform and marketplace Open Finance Network. This is the first offering of its kind, as the firm has worked diligently with the SEC to allow for participation from investors all over the world, and the fundraise is currently live. If you want to read more or do additional research on what the firm is building and how it will impact the traditional financial system, you can find out more information or invest directly through inx.co. And now let's get right into the show. We obviously can't get started without first doing our Companies of the Week Awards, where we nominate two companies to spotlight for making the biggest moves in the industry last week. So, who do you have for this week for Episode 70, Herwig? Well, Kyle, this week I have the pleasure of awarding the second largest bank in the world with the honor of issuing $3 billion, that's right, $3 billion worth of tokenized bonds. So I'm talking about China Construction Bank. They have over $3.5 trillion in assets and they have partnered up with Fusang to facilitate this deal and offer the tokens for trading on their exchange in Southeast Asia. Now, at least that was what the plan was yesterday. Now we need to update the episode to let you know that the deal has officially been put on hold. So I plan to raise an initial tranche of $58 million due to launch for live trading on Friday on the Fusang platform, which is, by the way, on the island of Labuan, which is in Malaysia. It strategically can be a tax haven and potentially partially why the China Construction Bank chose them as a distribution partner. But the Ethereum-based tokens were you know, to sell for a face value of $100. So that also meant that not just institutions, but private investors could also take part in the sale. What went wrong though was actually exactly what I had in my notes yesterday, that this signaled a new view in China that perhaps Bitcoin is okay because Fusang was planning to enable the option to buy the tokenized bond with Bitcoin. And since the news focused completely around this and not the fact that it was a security token, very frustrating if you ask me, it very well seems to be the case that the bank now pulled out because of this. 
Uh, I highly suspect that this is the case because the Bank of China, the fourth largest bank in the world, issued a $2.8 billion tokenized bond at the beginning of this year. So the second and fourth largest banks are using security tokens. That is the takeaway here, folks. And that's why the China Construction Bank remains my company of the week. I do eventually believe they will be issued. In fact, it's very timely because the Security Token Advisors team is working up an article listing out the biggest banks in the world that are working on security tokens. So stay tuned for that later this month. But meanwhile, Kyle, what about you? Who do you have as your winner of this episode? I really like that choice. It's a shame to hear that the deal is put on the rocks. Um, I understand that that this Bitcoin kind of issue is, is something that we're still trying to battle against. It's something we've talked on the podcast before about making that distinction between security tokens and the kind of crypto scene from back in the day. And it is important to make that distinction. And we're talking about real world securities, private securities and public securities in some cases and taking them on chain for the integration purposes. And so you do need to make that distinction and hopefully this bond offering can come through in the future. My my company of the week for this week is actually Mount X, who our listeners may recognize from their previous company of the week win, nominated by you, Herwig, just a few months ago when they announced a partnership with Vertalo to tokenize 15 properties in Mexico and Canada. Well, now Mount X wins my company of the week as the firm has tokenized two of those apartments, this time in Cuertaro, Mexico, for a total price of 250000 U.S. dollars. This is the beginning of a larger scaled effort by Mount X to digitize and tokenize residential real estate at scale with over 15 properties in the pipeline, according to their announcement. The firm has been using the Vertalo real estate platform for tokenization and transfer agent services. And it's very exciting to see the company successfully tokenizing their real estate portfolio. Next on their list of tokenized real estate for Mount X is a series of Canadian properties that Mount X intends to offer to North and Latin American investors. So we're certainly going to keep our eyes out for the newest launches there, and I'll certainly be sure to cover them on my STO segment moving forward. But congrats to Mount X for winning my company of the week. Not only did they have plans to tokenize this real estate, but they're actually moving forward with it, and now they've, they've successfully done so. And I think that that's definitely highlight worthy. Nice choice. That brings them right into the two-time winner category. Very uh, eclectic club there. But uh, moving on, let's get into the news. And before I do, you should know that all the articles we cover on this show are sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also available for reference in the about description of wherever you're listening the podcast on. Or, of course, always on the Security Token Show Medium blog. Whenever you want, it's always going to be there to read the news directly for yourself. And I've got big news to kick off this week. Jay Clayton, the chairman of the SEC, is stepping down early. Normally, the commissioner was supposed to step down in June of 2021, but during his tenure as the commission, he obtained orders of over $14 billion in monetary remedies, including a record $4.68 billion this year, and returned approximately $3.5 billion to harmed investors, which uh, those of you listening on the show would know a good chunk of which came from probably the Telegram ICO and definitely a bunch of other ones. And it isn't clear who will be appointed, you know, the next chairman, given that the U.S. government just went through an election cycle. And to me, this is a bummer because just last week I actually awarded the SEC my Company of the Week award because of all the good work that they're doing, uh, specifically that Jay has been leading uh, at the commission. Now, definitely check that episode out if you want to get a full update on all the new changes that they have made to the fundraising regulations. And for those 
of you wondering about Commissioner Hester Pierce, aka Crypto Mom, she's still there, but it's less likely that she will be made the SEC chair under a new party regime of which she is not affiliated. So, you know, soon to be shakeup at the commission will be a big deal and it could be a great or bad thing for security tokens and crypto, depending on who is ultimately picked by the president. We'll tell you all about the views of the new chairman on the show when he or she is chosen. And over in Pakistan, the regulations made a quick 180. Despite a blanket ban on crypto in 2018, the Securities and Exchange Commission of Pakistan last week released a friendly framework for digital assets. Their consultation paper says that the SECP believes digital assets is a start of a new era of digital finance. It covers the three core areas of blockchain and finance in their paper. It's crypto assets, security tokens, and even a central bank digital currency. So the paper outlines that they have two choices as regulators, restrict digital assets due to the current rules, or take a let things happen approach. And according to the article, they are heavily leaning towards the do no harm approach there. So it sounds like Pakistan has become enlightened and is ready to become a major player in the new digital world of capital markets. And it's a pattern I expect to see repeated by other countries who first saw you know it fit to control the blockchain disruption that came about by doing a total ban, and then to study it and launch it in a controlled framework and environment. China did the same exact thing at the beginning of this year. And moving into company announcements, T0 has announced that ATS market data is now available uh, with financial market data platform Refinitiv. So Refinitiv serves over 40,000 institutions, over 190 countries, providing leading data and insights, trading platforms, and open data to technology platforms. And of course, they're connecting a thriving global financial markets community. Now, driving performance, that you know, all of that is what investors need to help them evaluate and participate. And this type of partnership is critical for marketplaces and driving investors because they rely on data from sources they are already using like Refinitiv. So according to Sam, the CEO of T0, he says, our overarching focus is on driving adoption of digital securities. Today's announcement is exciting as it helps broaden awareness of these types of securities as more financial services professionals are able to easily access T0 ATS market data through Refinitiv's robust network. So he sums it up nicely, I think, there. Keep on driving adoption, T0. And speaking of T0, parent company Overstock is expanding to tax haven country Ireland and is reportedly seeking engineers and developers for T0 to be located in Ireland. So the location is described as a state-of-the-art tech office for the company. Let's see if the move pays off in terms of attracting talent. And Swiss-based Mount Pellerin also announced an update to the Bridge Protocol, which is built on Ethereum. The ERC-2612 and the ERC-3009 standards have been added, enabling issuers to do two new novel things. The first one, 2612, enables pay transactions involving ERC-20 operations using the token itself rather than ETH, which can be big for a lot of different smart contracts that are, are complex when it comes to involving paying investors in different ways. And 3009 enables a lot of new things, the biggest one being that you can have the gas payments be made by the counterparty. This means that the issuer doesn't have to suffer the costs of sending, say, a dividend and can instead charge the investor the gas payment, which can be upwards of $5 per transaction sometimes. I've seen it go crazy with DeFi clogging up the network. So this could be a big feature. Keep on improving that bridge protocol, Mount Pellerin, great stuff. That's 
very interesting from a, a counterparty perspective on the gas fees. We're going to cover that later as well. And the only other new announcement from Curia Invest, which is another Swiss company I have here, is you know that I reported actually three months ago, the company launching a DeFi protocol and platform. And as a part of that expansion, according to a recent LinkedIn post by CEO Ray Fernando, the company has launched the Curio stablecoin. And information is available in their Telegram group. We'll get back to you with the related news from this new feature in the Curio stack. Or, of course, you can go check it out, the Curio website, to learn more about their DeFi platform. And we do have a lot of great resources and opinion articles for you this week. We've got a couple from industry leaders talking about the impact of the changes to the crowdfunding rules, increasing the cap, of course, from $1 million to $5 million for uh, online fundraising. One is from Jason Frischman, the CEO of Net Capital, and the other is from Carlos Domingo, the CEO of Securitize. Both are, of course, bullish on the impact and support the change. We, of course, also support the change and believe it will drive increased usage, especially for tokens. That's why we recommended the change back in 2019. We're actually cited by the SEC for making it happen, and we're super proud of it. So I'd say we're ahead of the curve there, Kyle, and this is proof in the pudding by these industry leaders here. And the next article from Euromoney says that central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, will drive securities onto the blockchain. And I wholeheartedly agree. This article features Societe Generale's Forge, which is essentially its security token arm, and attributes some of the work they've done in the past to prove their point. When countries start relying on a digital version of their dollar or currency, then securities wanting to easily transact with that will also be blockchain-based. Ergo, the CBDCs will force more issuers to want to tokenize. And it's so, so true. So keep it up, central banks. We now know that there are almost more than 50 of you working on them in one form or another. So to see a full list, check out Security Token Advisors article on the Security Token Group Medium blog for that. And this next one comes from attorneys at DLA Piper, who neatly and briefly outline the benefits of real estate tokenization, which they say are improved liquidity, market expansion, and reduced transaction costs. It's always good to see the lawyers get on board with technology, and it makes sense given last week's announcement from DLA Piper announcing that their TOCO tokenization platform for high-value assets is now live. Maybe real estate is next for them. And we also had an article from Forbes titled, What's Next for the Most Unfortunate Generation? With parentheses around millennials. So Ariel Shapira there, who is not a millennial, but thankfully reminded Kyle and I that we are part of a very unfortunate generation. And he means that in the reference to the fact that our generation has seen the slowest economic growth out of any generation before it. And he alludes to Robinhood and other forms of investing as ways that millennials have sought to kind of fight the challenge here. But it goes on to say that INX... Our sponsor is truly what represents the game changer for millennials, which is, of course, talking about security tokens. And he could totally be right, given that our generation is more tech savvy and friendly, typically. Perhaps the old world will now move towards tokens as the new generation becomes more dominant in capital markets. I hope so. And last but not least, two more articles came out last week talking about the need for DeFi to evolve to real world assets. And the vehicle to do that, of course, is security tokens. The first is on Cointelegraph by Artem Tokachev, talking about the need for more stable assets for DeFi and the fixed income assets from the real world will be needed 
for DeFi to scale. And of course, we agree, and Curio Invest seems to also believe that's the case. DeFi Money Markets is also attempting something similar, but I haven't seen the model you know, totally be successful, at least as successful as the one by Centrifuge with paper shares and console fright, which are real-world assets, right? They represent music royalties and trade finance agreements. And Vertalo also has a DeFi division, though it's not in clar- you know, entirely clear to me yet what they're doing there. And I think whether it's through automated market makers or using lending tools, DeFi definitely has a place in the security token world and vice versa. And that's all I've got for you wonderful listeners out there. Kyle, tell us about the latest industry events coming up. Oh, yeah. So we've got two this week. The first one is a community call that was hosted by Realty on November 16th. So that was actually yesterday as of listening. And so executives at the issuance platform Realty hosted a community webinar where they addressed community developments and performance updates from the firm. On the webinar, the company confirmed that throughout 2020, despite failures to pay rent across the country due to the pandemic, none of their listed properties had any issues collecting rent and all will be paying rental income to their investors. Additionally, they are working hard to reduce the management fees from a lot of their different properties, which actually may increase the return of dividends on certain properties, which is a fantastic news. Nice. And additionally, they're working to reduce the management fees, as I said, which increased, I think, three or four different properties from around 12 to 13%, which is pretty cool. And then they're also increasing some of the rents in some of the properties, which is fantastic. So check out the webinar via the YouTube link in the description of wherever you're listening. Again, you can listen to that whenever you want. It's about 20 minutes. And I think it's very worthwhile if you're interested in realty properties. The other event we have this week is actually another webinar, this time from security token exchange iStock titled Riding the U.S. Housing Wave. In this webinar, GRT Asset Management Senior Vice President James Buchanan and Vice President Sankar Sadathan will explore the underlying trends that drive the performance of the U.S. residential market and the fundamental changes within the U.S. home builder landscape. The topics are going to include key trends driving the performance and resilience of the U.S. residential market, the changes to the U.S. home builder landscape, and how home builders have adapted their business models to overcome the challenges presented and drive organic growth. This webinar is pretty synergistic with the investment opportunities provided by Realty, which are residential U.S. properties. So if you've been eyeing that U.S. real estate market as an investment, you may want to check out this webinar to get more information. But again, it also demonstrates that international demand for U.S. assets, which is only a good sign. So check that one out. It's 7 a.m. Eastern time on Thursday, November 19th. And that's all that I have for the events and webinars this week. So remember, you can submit any industry events or anything like that on stlmarket.com slash news, and we'll cover it here on the show. In terms of new security tokens, we do have two. The, uh, the first one that we have is coming from Coinlinked, who announced their Reg D and Reg S security token fundraise. The company is raising $5 million through the fundraise, selling Class C common equity shares. CoinLink will be the first security token issuance to be listed on the Fundzition platform, which appears to be, I think, a fundraising platform based out of Australia that they've chosen. The CoinLink platform is branded as an American online social commerce platform that seeks to bridge the gap between crypto and traditional retail businesses, allowing users to pay for goods from any retail store using cryptocurrency. And while I'm not incredibly bullish on actually buying goods with Bitcoin, I could see how providing a bridge between stable coins like DAI or USDC with the goods that we buy and sell could be a great solution and one that I know many firms are also looking into. So if you like that idea and you want to learn more about CoinLinked and potentially even participate in their fundraise, check it out at coinlinked.com. 
The final two STOs we have today are two new real realty properties that have officially listed for primary offering. The company has been incredibly active and unfortunately I have missed a few of these in the past, but I'm now following the correct channels to make sure that we won't miss another one that they make. The firm, as you may know, has nine live properties trading on stlmarket.com with those prices. They are trading on Uniswap as an exchange with many new ones in the pipeline. By my count, they have 31 properties that have now completed the fundraising process with most of them still in that 12-month lockup period mandated by the SEC. The most recent of these 31 properties is 10604 Somerset Avenue, which is another Detroit-based Section 8 property worth around $70,000 US dollars, which is very similar to many of the other properties currently listed, both in market cap as well as in yield, offering nearly 12% for a single-family home. The property did fully sell out its fundraise in about 12 hours last week, continuing to prove the voracious demand of these security tokens from investors worldwide. Realty actually has another property going live for fundraising today as of Tuesday, and this one is even an extra special one as it's not a property based in Detroit, Michigan, but New York City. A multifamily home based in Rochester, New York, 581 to 587 Jefferson Ave is Realty's first New York property, and yet another example of the awesome diversification opportunities presented with tokenized real estate. Like the other multifamily properties that are that Realty has issued, like Fullerton Avenue and one of the Appalachian properties, Jefferson is as a much higher market cap, nearing around six hundred thousand U.S. dollars, which offers a very different investment opportunity with around a ten and a half percent yearly return on dividend. The property goes on sale for fractional investors on Tuesday, the day of posting. So if you're interested in getting in on the deal, find out more information on Realty.co. Going into the market trading segment, as always, all the news and pricing data is sourced from stomarket.com. We've got live updating token trading prices there. And again, we had one of the worst weeks in recent memory in the secondary market, down about 70 million in market cap from about 500 million last week to 430 this week, where overstock security token continues to mirror the public stock's performance, which is down almost 30% in the last 30 days. So this has pretty much decimated the T0 market cap, leading to significant downward pressure on the T0 token as well, which was down about 10% this week. So we had overstock down maybe 7%, T0 down 10%. Again, as we've talked about, not a huge cause of concern from a security token perspective, just because of the fact that the overstock security token is going to mirror the common shares. So when the common shares come down, the security token comes down. So it's much more a, a signal for overstock and the public market perception of that company, I think, than it is on the actual security token technology. Again, as we see more and more of these real estate properties selling out, goes to show that there are great value propositions here, but just from a market cap perspective, they just don't quite have enough market cap to really be able to provide that stability. Aspen, which is the third token on T0, was up 2% this week, but it doesn't yet see anywhere near the trading volume or the market representation that Overstock and T0 do, so it didn't significantly impact the market very much at all. And then finally, a lot of the other Overstock, uh, the open finance tokens and many of these other assets really didn't see much activity, but real estate did see a relatively sideways picture this week. A few properties did trade down though. That being said, the company also confirmed that they're still paying weekly dividends instead of the daily dividends we've come to expect due to the increases in Ethereum gas fees, which is something to pay attention to. And we'll see maybe what that rate of 
gas is to determine when they pay daily versus weekly. I'm not exactly sure where that is, but certainly we can say that gas fees have come down tremendously since the summer, which is where they were at their all-time highs. So I think we should be expecting it to go back to daily sometime soon. So with that, Herwig, I think it's time to transition a little bit into our main topic segment, which is an exciting one to jump into. Yeah, definitely a downward trend these last few weeks, but uh, not surprising given the concentration of T zero there and overstock compared to all the other tokens. You know, it's just a repeated conversation we're having these last few weeks. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. I think as more tokens get listed, as these these you know lockup periods end, we're going to see more of that stability and some have some more interesting things to talk about. But last week, Dan LeBeau, who's a forming partner, a founding partner, excuse me, of Lightbulb Capital, prompted his LinkedIn network with a potentially tense question. Is Ethereum the best blockchain to issue a security token on? And there was a lot of people that engaged around this, but ultimately I found it to be not such a big deal. Why that is, you might be wondering, well, it's actually because security tokens can change blockchains and move to a different chain, at least far easier than their crypto asset counterparts. Right, so Dan said specifically, quote, mostly I am being laughed at when I caution against the use of Ethereum as a platform to issue security tokens on, uh, specifically citing fork risks as a possible critical problem. And the first thing I will say to that, listeners, is that anyone laughing at this question has their head stuck in the sand. These are exactly the type of questions all issuers need to be considering when exploring using security tokens. Absolutely, Herwig. And I want to start off by giving a shout out to Dan for engaging LinkedIn with this question, despite the reactions he got from asking some of his network directly, apparently. Yes, totally. And looking forward to more of your posts, Dan. Now, let's review what he is saying and some of the reactions before we share ours, Kyle. So specifically, Dan is talking about the risks that you issue security tokens on Ethereum and Ethereum gets forked, just like it originally did when it got hacked and the community voted to fork. The original Ethereum blockchain became known as Ethereum Classic and has since developed its own community while, you know, obviously the more known Ethereum network is the mainstream one and we all know and use it. And Dan's point is what happens if that occurs again? A new fork, a new version of that blockchain is made. Does your security token now get stuck on an outdated version of Ethereum essentially? And it's a great question because there's all sorts of reasons this could happen, like the original fork, which was a hack, or possibly upgrades to the infrastructure, or a divide in the developer community, or many other reasons like last week's bug, which is what caused this discussion in the first place, which was an unannounced fork that resulted from the developer community that was fixing a problem, but it did force many providers to suspend Ethereum transactions for that time during the fix. Apparently, according to some of the programmers, they've been doing this to fix bugs for quite a bit in secret in fear of people exploiting these bugs before they're able to patch it. So it does beg the question, how do people react? So some of the comments took the time to promote their own solution, of course, and you'll point out that Ethereum isn't the only choice, it's fair to say, and others focused on bringing in experts, including Clemens Wan, a solutions architect at Consensus. Someone assumed that since central banks are working with Consensus, they must know the answer, but it's probably not what you'd want to hear, but it is what you'd expect, which is that central banks are all using private blockchains, basically their own version of Ethereum to play with. But Clemens does point out that the large developer community 
community and the security token community are what make Ethereum great. But to me, that doesn't go enough to answer the question. Klaus Scanning, the CEO of DigiShares, which is an issuance platform, had it right in my opinion, and obviously your comment too, Kyle, which is similar, which is to say that issuance platforms are building in the capabilities to change or upgrade the underlying blockchain. So simply put, if you combine everyone else's uh, information and you combine the answers, Ethereum still represents the best choice today, but may not be tomorrow. And because we are dealing with securities and not unique tokens tied to the individual blockchain, like a cryptocurrency or a utility token, we don't need to worry about changing or upgrading the blockchain because the underlying asset doesn't get affected. It's not as simple as it sounds unless the issuance platform makes it very easy, but it is doable and possible. Yeah, I had a similar perspective as well. Like I agree that Ethereum might not be the long-term solution. We can't see the future, we don't know. But the reality is that we cannot predict that how these glaring issues are gonna be affected around using a specific blockchain, namely scalability issues that have caused the price per transaction, commonly known as the gas fee, to rise uncontrollably, especially with the Ethereum network with this DeFi craze and everything here, and it's been a real issue. This has caused serious network issues and infrastructure delays, most notably as we've talked about earlier in the podcast of Realty, who used to pay daily dividends through the blockchain and now actually had to resort to paying weekly instead of daily just because of these high fees associated with the transactions, which hurts that value proposition that we've covered in the past. However, I don't know if this should prevent an issuer from using Ethereum right now as reissuance is a relatively straightforward process in the event of a better solution that comes to the market. Additionally, as we've covered here on the show before, many exchanges still operate via street name and don't actually use blockchain for their settlement process at all, reducing the reliance on picking a specific blockchain for the future and likely easing the transition of reissuance. At present day, I still see Ethereum as the best blockchain solution, mainly due to the developer support, which is an incredibly crucial piece for that interjurisdictional operability. As all these exchanges are building out their solutions and smart contract settlement and all these different pieces, as long as they're all working together on the same kind of tech solution, that's a huge benefit for liquidity and for any of these issuer support. I'm also not sure that we've seen any other blockchains that provide the same level of community support as well as issuer adoption and scalability in terms of the amount of issuing or issuers that they've they've offered and so this provides many features of the blockchain to work smoothly and and so it's something that we can't quite say for many of the other blockchains yet that are still trying to prove this concept still trying to get their first few offerings off the ground and trading so a lot of my comment revolved around this idea of reissuance which from your perspective Herwig, what does the process for changing a blockchain actually look like so first we need to you know, record all the previous transactions, which is easy enough to do if it's on a public blockchain, of course. And if it's on a private one, you just need the permission and access, right? This way we don't lose the historical transactions and this can be done through blockchain explorers and then adding the data to the new blockchain. Then there's of course the token perspective. If you are just upgrading the existing blockchain, the, the token experience will most likely be unharmed most of the time, just as we have seen with Ethereum itself. If the token is being moved to a new blockchain though, then it will depend on the issuer controls. The issuer may be able to burn the tokens and simply issue new ones via the issuance platform, but maybe if no such option exists, the issuer will need to offer a swapping solution to the investor. So let's give an example here. One CEO token on Ethereum can then be swapped for one CEO token on Tezos. And perhaps the issuer has the ability to freeze all other transfer types. So as you can see, there is potentially development work and user experience changes that need to 
be supported here, which is why it's not necessarily easy, uh, but an issuance platform plays a huge role here in either making this process very simple or very, very difficult for the issuer. So that's the key takeaway for our issuers, I think. Ask your tokenization platform if they can support upgrading or changing the blockchain. Yeah, we, we've actually seen a reissuance happen with the security token that we've covered on the show recently, which was Science Blockchain. The firm issued their own security token, SCI, representing interest in their blockchain investment fund, but soon realized that they needed to upgrade their token, presumably for compliance or interoperability standards. So the firm worked with Securitize to reissue shares of the newly minted SCI2 tokens. The company incurred costs of issuing again, which may vary depending on the issuance platform that you use, but they successfully conducted the reissuance and are now seeking liquidity options to list their SCI2 tokens on a secondary market proving that this process is possible and one that does not need to hurt your token long term as the value proposition of the asset is on the financial layer, not necessarily on the technical layer from the blockchain protocol. Blockchain Capital, currently trading on open finance, also reissued back in 2017 due to a compliance bug that allowed the token to trade freely without KYC on crypto exchange known as Ether Delta. The firm elected to reissue, also choosing Securitize for this process, and was able to coordinate with the team to burn their outstanding tokens and reissue newly upgraded tokens to their existing investors. Both of these cases provide examples and precedent for reissuance, but both actually used Ethereum for the reissuance as well as the original issuance, and so they didn't actually change blockchains, they just changed tokens. Changing blockchains would definitely add an extra layer of complexity, as Herwig mentioned, due to the requirements around porting the ledger from one chain to another, but as we've seen, this process shouldn't be something that adds too much friction, provided that the new blockchain provides the additional benefits for token holders, which is why you do it in the first place. Yeah, those are absolutely fantastic example, Kyle. Uh, security tokens have already conducted this process before successfully, and that's a great thing because you know, I don't think security tokens would be viable if this wasn't the case. After all, this is technology we're talking about. We expect it to improve, you know, we expect it to get better. So we need to have these controls and capabilities in place. And there you have it, listeners. That's a wrap, you know, another great main topic. And that closes out episode 70 of the Security Token Show. I hope you enjoyed and I hope you learned something new. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our episode sponsor, INX. Remember to submit any news or articles to stomarket.com slash news and to reach out to us directly on Twitter or LinkedIn to keep the conversation going. I look forward to hearing from you. And thanks again for listening. Talk to you next week. <laughs>